0: All right, good morning. We are continuing our class on the spiritual disciplines. This is week four, I think. We've talked about hearing the Word of God, reading the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. And last week, we talked about prayer. And this week, we're going to change a little bit, and we're going to talk about fasting. Everyone's favorite spiritual discipline. Okay, maybe that's not true. Donald Whitney said, "Christians in a gluttonous, denialless, self-indulged society, may struggle to accept and begin the practice of fasting. I hate going without food. And our society and our culture says, don't give up on your, your desires. Satisfy your every desire. And fasting goes completely against that whole narrative. He continues Few disciplines go so radically against the flesh and the mainstream of culture as this one. No Christian should ignore fasting's benefits in the disciplined pursuit of a Christ like life. This is a very important discipline, and it's one we should not be ignoring. So let's just ask the question what is fasting? When we talk about fasting, what are we actually talking about? Just a couple of quick, short definitions. Fasting is the deliberate and generally prolonged abstention from eating and sometimes drinking. Another guy said, fasting is an abstinence from food which has its religious value only in the sacrifice of personal will. And then the last one is from Donald Whitney. Fasting is a believer's voluntary abstinence from food for spiritual purposes. So those are how three different guys define fasting. And I want to stop on this definition for just a moment. And I just want to point something out at the beginning. Fasting is a believer's voluntary. It's not coerced, It's not forced. It's not something your church comes and says, you must fast today. It's voluntary. There are two commands in scripture regarding fasting for the believer, for the Christian in the New Testament. Only two commands in the New Testament regarding fasting. Here's both of them. The first one, don't look gloomy. Matthew 6.16, whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face. And if you want to see a good example of someone who fasted and put on a gloomy face, turn over to Isaiah chapter 58. We're going to get into the Bible really quick. Isaiah 58 actually has a story about israel and their fasting and it's kind of instructive i think it's worth looking at isaiah 58 he begins in verse 1 and he says cry loudly do not hold back raise your voice like a trumpet and declare to my people their transgression and in the house of jacob their sins this is god speaking to the prophet isaiah and telling him go to my people and tell them about their sin and their transgressions And he's not supposed to be quiet about it. He's supposed to make it loud and clear. It's supposed to be like a trumpet. Verse 2. Then he speaks about the people. Yet they seek me day by day and delight to know my ways. As a nation that has done righteousness and has not forsaken the ordinance of their God, they ask me for just decisions. They delight in the nearness of God. Now wait a minute. He just told Isaiah, go tell them about their sin. Go tell them about their transgressions. And now he's going to tell them, now he's saying, they're good people. They follow my statutes. They're righteous. Verse 2 is what they say about themselves. Verse 2 is the show that they put on. It's what they believe about themselves. And then they say to God, verse 3, why have we fasted and you do not see? Why have we humbled ourselves and you do not notice? So they think that by going through this fast, they're somehow going to earn some kind of favor with God, even though they don't obey any of His rules, they don't obey His law, they do whatever they want, they think they can do this fast, and God is going to listen to them because of the fast. End of verse 3. Behold, on the day of your fast you find your desire, and drive hard all of your workers. Behold, you fast for contention and strife and to strike with a wicked fist. You do not fast like you do today to make your voice heard on high. You fast so you can get what you want. You fast and you use it as an opportunity to push your workers even harder. Verse 6. I'm sorry, verse 5. Is it a fast like this which I choose, a day for a man to humble himself? Is it for the bowing of one's head like a reed, and for spreading out sackcloth like ashes? Will you call this a fast, even an acceptable fast to the Lord? If you're not going to live a righteous life and be obedient to God, and you're going to fast, then essentially what you're saying is the whole purpose of the fast is for me to look a certain way. The whole purpose of my fast is so I can walk around with my head hanging down, looking miserable, and showing everybody just how truly spiritual I am because I sleep in dust and ashes. And God asks, is that what I really asked you to do? Is that really the fast that I wanted from you? It's all show? Verse 6, is this not the fast which I choose? To loosen the bonds of wickedness, to undo the hands of the yoke? And to let the oppressed go free and break every yoke. This was not a means of earning your way to heaven. This is not a means to boost your spiritual street cred. Fasting is intended to drive you to holiness. And so when Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Don't look gloomy, he said, Don't think this is all about how you look. This is not for show. So the first command, don't look gloomy. Second command, Matthew 6, verse 17, look your best. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. You come into church and you're fasting, nobody should be able to walk up to you and go, Bob, are you fasting, man? You look terrible. What's going on? It shouldn't be something that people can tell by looking at you. So Jesus gives only two commands. The only two commands in the New Testament regarding fasting. Don't look gloomy. Look your best. That's it. There are no other commands in the New Testament for the Christian regarding fasting. There's no command on when you are to fast, what you are to fast, how long you are to fast, who you are to fast with. Those commands do not exist in the New Testament. But there are plenty of commands in the Old Testament or the Mosaic Law, and those commands will help us understand what fasting is and what it is for. So let's look at it. What is fasting? Leviticus 16, verse 29. This shall be a permanent statute for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall humble your souls and not do any work, whether the native or the alien who sojourns among you. Notice the difference from what happened in Isaiah 58. He says here, you're not to do any work. The Israelites were using it as a way to press their workers even harder. But there's a key phrase here I want you to notice. You shall humble your souls. This little phrase in Hebrew is connected to fasting. Leviticus 31, two verses later. It is to be a Sabbath of solemn rest for you that you may humble your souls. That's the goal. This is on the Day of Atonement, the day when the high priest would go in and make atonement for sins. Fasting was a way of humbling a person. And in the Old Testament, it was connected with sadness, with mourning. And so they would cover themselves in dust and ashes. They would wear sackcloth, which is very uncomfortable, and they would fast. Psalm 35, verse 13. But as for me, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. He humbled his soul. He brought himself low through fasting. Ezra 8 verse 21. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before God. Fasting is a means of humbling yourself. It's not a means of seeking after your desires and your wants. and It's a means of humbling yourself. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Why was he afraid? He was afraid because the sons of Moab and the sons of Ammon were preparing to go to war against Judah. And so he humbled himself before God, and he proclaimed a fast for the entire nation that they would seek after God. So those are some Old Testament pictures of fasting. Here's my question for you. Well, kind of. Is fasting required for you? Are you required by God to fast? Well, we just looked at the two commands in the New Testament regarding fasting. And there's no command there that says you must fast. It says what you're to do when you're fasting, but it doesn't say you have to fast. However, fasting, while it may not, it may not be blatantly required in the New Testament, fasting is expected in the New Testament. It is expected that if you are a Christian, you will be fasting. Consider how the New Testament speaks of fasting. We'll, we'll go back to that same verse, Matthew 16 and uh, Matthew 6, 16 and 17. Matthew 6, 16 starts, and when you fast, the next verse, but when you fast. It's not if, it's not potentially. The only thing that is unknown here is when are you going to do it? This same language is used for other spiritual disciplines. The same language is used for prayer. And when you pray, next verse, but when you pray, next verse, and when you pray, the expectation is you're just going to be praying. The same language is given for giving. You are expected to give, right? Thus, when you give, next verse, but when you give, each time he speaks about it, the expectation is that it's just going to be happening. He doesn't have to give a command for it. Matthew 9, 14 and 15 are two really important verses when when you're talking about fasting. John Piper said these are the most important words on fasting in the Bible. By the way, if you guys have questions, stop me, okay? The most important words on fasting. Let's look at these. Matthew 9, verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him asking, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? Apparently, Jesus and his disciples didn't fast. John the Baptist fasted. We'll talk about his fast in a minute. The Pharisees certainly fasted. They had certain days they would fast. But Jesus and his disciples didn't. And this is even evidenced later in Luke uh, 7.33. When Jesus said, they came and they called me a glutton and a drunkard. Clearly, the guy's not fasting. And I'm not saying he's guilty of gluttony or drunkenness. But clearly, he's eating so they can actually make this claim against him. So, why aren't they fasting? Why does Jesus and his disciples, why do they not fast? Jesus answers in verse 15. The attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. Can they? Fasting in that day was connected with mourning and sorrow. And Jesus is saying, look, they can't fast right now because they have no reason to mourn. The bridegroom of Israel, the one everybody's been waiting for, is here. They can't fast and seek after God. I'm standing right in front of them. The bridegroom is already here. John Piper said on this, this is so stunning and glorious and so unexpected in this form that Jesus said, you simply cannot fast now in this situation. It's too much of a happy situation. The Messiah is here. It's too happy, too spectacularly exhilarating. Fasting is for times of yearning and aching and longing. But the bridegroom of Israel is here. After a thousand years of dreaming and longing and hoping and waiting, here he is. The absence of fasting in the band of the disciples was a witness to the presence of God in their midst. Fasting is humbling yourself before God so you can seek after him for a purpose. You have some great desire that you want to obtain from God. And for thousands of years, Israel Wanted their Messiah to show up. And everybody's waiting, waiting for him to come. And Jesus says, now that I'm here, there's no point for you to be mourning. I'm already here. But that's not going to stay that way. They're not fasting now because Jesus is with them. And one day he's going to leave. He's going to ascend back to heaven to be with his father. Matthew nine fifteen he continues. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them. And then they will fast. Then they will have reason to yearn and to mourn after God. Donald Whitney said, Jesus said the time would come when his disciples will fast. That time is now. Jesus, the bridegroom of the church, is away in heaven. His people fast as part of their longing for and anticipation of his return. In the Old Testament, people longed and yearned for Jesus to come the first time. In the New Testament church, we long and yearn for Jesus to return. And so, fasting is expected. John Piper, again, Christian fasting at its root is a hunger of a homesickness for God. Fasting is the the result of having a desire of longing for God. Longing for Christ. So, is fasting commanded in the New Testament? No. Is fasting expected for the New Testament believer? Yes. You are expected to fast. The New Testament, when it speaks of us, expects us to be fasting. Okay, so I'm supposed to be fasting. What should I fast? In the broadest sense of the term, you can fast anything that you want. You can fast things that just exert too much influence in your life. If social media is taking over your life and controlling everything, you can fast from social media. Or you can fast from something that just takes away too much time from the things of God. And you can say, I'm not going to be a part of those things because I'd rather focus on seeking after God. And here's just a short list of things that you can, you can fast. Involvement with people. Don't do that long term. Media, sports, hobbies, talking, sleeping. You can fast from any one of these things, and instead of using your time for those things, you invest your time into seeking after God. David Martin Lloyd-Jones said, we would add that fasting, if we conceive of it truly, must not only be confined to the question of food and drink. Fasting should really be made to include abstinence from anything which is legitimate in and of itself for the sake of some special spiritual purpose. You can fast from anything that you desire. Again, what are the two commands in the New Testament? Don't look gloomy, look your best. Anything that you desire, you can fast from. Now, you can fast from anything. That being said, a little caveat here, when Scripture speaks of fasting, it seems to focus its efforts and attention on food, primarily on food and not on other things. And this actually makes a lot of sense. Let's say I said, well, my iPhone has too much influence on me. I'm constantly going back, I'm checking my phone, what's going on on Facebook, what's going on? I could say I want to fast from this. And you'll find if you give up your smartphone for a few weeks, it'll make a difference. But eventually, what'll happen is the absence of the iPhone will just become normal. Because you don't have an internal, natural desire to have an iPhone. So it'll just become normal, and your fast after just a few days will become nothing, it'll become meaningless. And the same is true with just about everything else. That cannot be said for food. You go without eating for a couple days, it's not going to become normal. Your desire for food is one of the strongest physical desires you will have, if not the strongest. And so fasting from food is the most powerful fast you're going to get. And the New Testament focuses on food. If you can abstain from food over a long period of time and control and discipline yourself in that way, you will be able to say no to a lot of other desires that pop up. Does that make sense? Okay, so what are the different kinds of fasts? And here we're talking about what are we going to fast. Okay, first there is a partial fast. A partial fast limits the amount of food. That's one way to do it. If you have a medical condition that requires that you eat every single day, this is a good alternative because instead of cutting food out completely, you just limit the amount and you reduce the portion sizes. And so you eat enough to meet the requirements of your medical condition and then you stop. And you haven't satisfied your hunger yet. That's a partial fast. The other way you can do this is you can limit the type of food. And you can say, well, I'm not going to eat or drink this. Now, you can do it that way. You can not say, well, I'm going to go on a fast from dessert. And again, that might work for a day or two. But after a while, that's just going to become normal. Or I'm going to fast from coffee and caffeine. Well, after a few days, that's just going to become normal. I think the more effective way to do, if you're going to limit the type of food, you're going to do what Daniel did in Daniel 1 verse 12. He says, please test your servants for 10 days and let us be given some vegetables to eat and water to drink. He didn't select one or two foods that he's going to cut out. He cut out all foods except for this one little category. And I think that's a very effective way to do a partial fast. Reduce your the type of foods that you eat down to just one or two. Uh, this is also in Matthew 3, verse 4. Speaking of John the Baptist, now John himself had a, a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Anybody want to start that fast anytime soon? I don't either. Yeah, I wouldn't. we don't know how long he did this, if this was like just normal for him, or if this was over a certain period of time, but this would be a good example of a partial fast. He's limiting his food intake to one or two things. So that's a partial fast. There's also a normal fast. That's a great title for it, a normal fast. This is abstaining from all food, but drinking only water. Uh, Some have said that Jesus in Matthew 4 and Luke 4 in the wilderness had a normal fast in that he did not eat. It says clearly he did not eat, but they assume that he may have been able to have some water during that time. Um, this is actually kind of an argument from silence. And it's based on the idea that in other places in Scripture, when when someone has an absolute fast, or excuse me, a normal fast, well, when they fast food and water, it'll tell you he did not eat or drink. And here it just says Jesus did not eat. It might be reasonable to assume this is a normal fast where he had food, he had no food and drank water, but I wouldn't be dogmatic there. Alright, and then the other one is an absolute fast. This is abstaining from all food and drink, including water. You eat and drink nothing. Uh, this was in Ezra 10, verse 6. He did not eat bread nor drink water, for he was mourning over the unfaithfulness of the exile. Of the exiles, excuse me. If you're going to do an absolute fast, be really, really careful. Um, you can go a lot longer without food than you can go without water. And so if you're going to do this, just understand, going without water, especially in this heat, can have a serious problem for you, and you can die from it. So before you do it, get some medical advice. Um, You're only going to be able to do this for a couple of days to begin with, and you want to be careful. Okay, and then there's this one last one, a supernatural fast. This is Moses on Mount Sinai, or Jesus in the wilderness if you assume he drank no water. Uh, the supernatural fast requires God's supernatural intervention just for you to survive the fast. I wouldn't recommend doing this fast. Okay, Go see a doctor, make sure what you're doing is safe, and then do that. The supernatural fast is for Moses and Jesus, not for us. Okay, Any questions so far? Comments? Okay. all right. the next type of fast we're going to look at is who is fasting. There's a private fast. This is exactly what it sounds like. This is an individual Christian who decides he or she wants to fast. And this is the most common type of fasting in the New Testament. Where a private individual decides they're going to fast. Matthew 6, 16 and 18 talks about when you fast, don't make it to where everyone else knows about it. We we spoke briefly on that earlier. It's done in such a way that other people do not know about it. And we're going to kind of go back and hit that topic we discussed earlier about the gloomy face. Jesus said those that neglect their appearance so that they may be noticed by men when they are fasting, they have their reward in full. Your fasting is so you can seek after God and gain spiritual benefit. You want to be more Christ-like. When someone goes and makes it obvious that they're fasting, and they trumpet it to the entire world, hey, look at me, I'm fasting. Whatever they get out of that, that's all the reward they're going to get. You might as well just go eat something at that point. Because you're going to get nothing else out of it. Okay, so other people can't know I'm fasting. But what if someone asks me to lunch? Or they want me to come over for dinner. Do I just break the fast? Or should I lie to them and tell them I've got plans? No, you shouldn't lie to them. The prohibition is on the seeking attention. The prohibition is not on other people knowing about it. Donald Whitney explained it this way. The problem is not whether whether or not another person knows or asks about your fast. But whether or not you want him or her to ask or to know so you can appear more spiritual. The prohibition is on the attitude of trying to seek attention and get people to notice so they'll think more highly of you. That's where the prohibition is. So if someone comes and says, hey, come to dinner or come over for lunch, and you're fasting, it's simple. Just say, I can't go. I'm fasting. Problem solved. You don't have to be worried about it. Because you did not ask them to ask you to lunch. You didn't create that environment. That's something that they did. So you chalk it up to providence and be happy. Move on. Okay, so that's the private fast. There's also a congregational fast. A group of Christians come together to fast. This is in Acts 13.2. Speaking of the church at Antioch, while they were ministering the Lord to the Lord and fasting, we don't know how many in the church came together to fast. We just know a group of them decided that they were going to come together and fast while they were seeking the Lord. And then there is a national fast. A national fast is when the entire nation is called to fast. Um, a good example of this is Second Chronicles 20, verse 3. The entire nation was called together to go fast. This has actually been done in the U.S. three different times. Three different presidents have called the entire nation to fast. Uh, John Adams, James Madison, and Abraham Lincoln all called for a national fast where the country came together to fast. I don't think that would go over real well these days. Okay, all right, so we've looked at what you're fasting, who's fasting, and the next one is when. When do I fast? So there's different ways you can do this. There is the occasional fast, uh, this is for special occasions or a time of special need. So, a special occasion. Um, I was reading Edward Payson, who was a a minister in Washington. And right before he started his ministry, he broke away and prayed and fasted for 30 days. That's a special occasion. Um, You're starting a new job and you want to seek God for his help. Special occasion. Okay. Special need arises. Grandma is sick and she's in the hospital. We're going to fast and pray for Grandma. So those are occasional. Those happen when, whenever need arises. The second kind of fast is a regular fast. This was a staple of the Mosaic Law. And these have set days that you fasted, and you would do this every year. That day came up, the Day of Atonement, you were fasting that day. And the law set the, um, it set the extent of what you're going to fast. It told you what you could and could not eat. It told you how long you were going to be fasting, Most Christians don't do this today. I know Leonard Ravenhill used to say his, his day for fasting was Wednesday. And every Wednesday he just went and fasted. So most Christians today do a normal fast where they do no food and only water. They do it occasionally whenever the need arises where they feel like doing it. And they do it privately. Okay, so if that's what most Christians do, does that mean you have to do this you have to do it just like that if you want to make it instead of occasional if you want to make it a regular fast could you do that of course of course all of these are what just what some people choose to do but again there's only two commands on fasting in the new testament how you look There is no command that you must fast on this day or that day or you must do it for so long or you must have these foods that you cut out. All of that is left to your conscience to decide what you're going to do. Okay? Okay. If you're going to fast, you need to have a reason. You need to have a purpose for fasting. Fasting without a purpose is just misery. Fasting requires a special spiritual purpose, the purpose for which you're going to fast. Donald Whitney said, without a clear biblical purpose for fasting, fasting becomes an end in itself. Every hunger pain only makes you calculate the time remaining until you can eat. You have to have something that motivates you that you actually want to obtain from fasting. Otherwise, you're just starving yourself. So, what are some... Potential reasons you might go and fast. These are just a few of the reasons. You don't have to use these. You can have another one of your own. But here's a few. Wow, that came up quite quicker than I thought. Okay. You can fast to strengthen your prayer. Seek God's guidance. You can fast to express grief. Seeking deliverance. I don't have to read all of these, but... Seeking deliverance. I'm struggling with one specific sin. God just showed me a specific sin in my life I just became aware of and I really want to get rid of it. So I'm going to give myself to fasting so I can be free of this. Um, You can do it to overcome temptation. You can do it to minister to other people's needs. Someone else has a need and you're going to fast and pray for their need. Now, I, I could go through and we can talk about each one of these but I don't want to put all of you to sleep. All of these have one thing in common. Every single one of these has one thing in common. Every single one of them involves prayer. All of them involve prayer. You're seeking God's guidance. How are you going to do that? You're going to pray. You're expressing grief. How are you going to do that? (laughs) You're going to pray. You want more humility. How are you going to do that? You're going to pray. All of them deal with prayer. So we're just going to focus this morning on fasting As a means of strengthening prayer. Okay? And then you can apply it outward. Okay? So let's talk about fasting as a means to strengthen prayer. Isaiah 58 9. Then you will call, and the Lord will answer. You will cry, and you will say, Here I am. This is the passage we read at the beginning. And he tells them what kind of fasting he wants from them, and he says, This will be the result. When you fast the way I have asked you to fast, This is going to be the result. You will call and the Lord will answer. Now, last week we we talked about prayer. And I said, you need to make arguments with God. Make rational, logical arguments like an attorney going into a courtroom. Some have looked at this and said, oh, okay. If I fast, God, I'm going to earn some kind of favor with God. God's going to listen to me now because I'm fasting. Or God listens better when I fast because somehow me being hungry makes God want to listen to me. Fasting does not change God's hearing. Fasting changes our praying. The logical arguments in prayer were not intended to convince God of something. The logical arguments in prayer were intended to convince you. And the same thing is true in fasting. Fasting is about changing your praying. Piper said fasting is an intensifier of spiritual desire. I have this goal, this purpose for fasting, this thing that I want, and I'm not going to eat until the Lord answers my prayer. Don't you think that might motivate you to pray more? If I don't eat until this is resolved that's going to make you want to pray a lot more, and you're going to be far more fervent in your prayer. Arthur Wallace said, Fasting is calculated to bring a note of urgency and importunity into our praying, and to give force to our pleading in the court of heaven. The man who prays with fasting is giving heaven notice that he is truly earnest. To fast is to put aside your desires and say, my desire for this one thing, for liberation from this one sin or for this other person to be saved is greater than even my desire for food. And I will seek God so I can have that one thing. Now last week we talked about prayers must be constant and unceasing. God says knock, keep knocking, keep seeking, keep asking. That's what fasting is encouraged to promote. That's what fasting promotes, excuse me. Jeremiah 29, 14, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. When you devote everything to seeking after God. That's what fasting promotes in you. I'm laying aside my desire, one of the strongest desires I have, the desire for food, so I can seek you for this one thing. Arthur Wallace again, when a man is willing to set aside the legitimate appetites of the body to concentrate on the work of praying, he is demonstrating that he means business, that he is seeking with all of his heart and will not let God go unless he answers. Fasting intensifies your desire. It intensifies the desire behind your prayers. It's the practical means of boosting your prayer life. So let's get practical here. How does fasting make you pray more? If I say I'm going to fast starting this week, how does that make me pray more? I'm not going to eat, okay? Maybe I might be praying for a sandwich. How does that change my prayer life? How do I practically allow that to change my prayer life? Donald Whitney gives this answer. As you are fasting, your head aches or your stomach growls and you think, I'm hungry. Your next thought is likely to be something like, oh, right, I'm hungry because I'm fasting today. Then your next thought should be, and I am fasting for this purpose. Remember the old saying, if you can't remember something, tie something around your finger. Tie a little string on your finger so every time you see the string, you remember what you're supposed to remember. That's what fasting does. By not eating, you have a built-in memory mechanism that reminds you hey you haven't eaten today and the not eating should remind you i'm seeking god for this purpose and when that reminder comes donald whitney says this your hunger helps you serving as a continual reminder of your spiritual purpose Throughout your fast, every time you feel hungry, whether you are working, driving, talking to someone, sitting at your computer, walking, or whatever, you are reminded of your purpose. As a result, you will be prompted by your hunger to pray for the purpose of your fast. I would highly recommend that you do this on a day off. If you have a job where you have to go into work and you're constantly being distracted, try fasting on your day off because it allows you to stop whatever you're doing and go pray when you feel hungry. Does this make sense? Everybody following me? Okay. Let's talk about getting started. Okay, I have to start with a warning. Um, Certain medical conditions, diabetes, pregnancy, other conditions, require a certain diet. You have to eat so much. If you have a medical condition that requires you eat, make sure you get medical advice before you do a fast. I'm not your doctor, and I'm not telling you you should or shouldn't fast. See your doctor first if you have one of those medical conditions, and they can help you structure a fast that isn't dangerous to your health, okay? All right, as you get started, understand that necessity is the mother of invention, When you really have to have have something or have to do something, you figure out a way to get it done. And the same is true when you're fasting. You need to identify a need for which you want to seek God. You need to have a purpose for going into your fast. This is what's going to give you your desire not to go back and have food. If you're just doing it because, well... Frank talked about fasting today, and this is spiritual discipline, so here we go. Two Today, you know, you're going to get to lunch, and you're be like, this isn't worth it. I'm done. And you're going to go eat. You have to have a reason to go fast. Why am I fasting? What's the point? What am I going for? Be specific. Write it down. This is something that you are going to be praying for throughout your fast, whether it's a one-day, two-day, or a a one-month fast, you're going to be praying for this one thing. So be clear. Know what you want. Know what it is that you're going for. If it's for help and sanctification, know which sins you need help with. Write them down. If it's for a specific person, know what they need so you can be specific in your prayers and those prayers will motivate you to continue on with the fast. You also need to determine the length of your fast. One day, one week, one month. Figure out the length. Now, don't be like some people I know who try to be overachievers. Okay, If you've never fasted before and you say, well, I'm going to fast for 30 days. Some of you will be able to pull it off. But others of you, you're not going to make it 30 days. And that's just going to be disheartening. If you've never fasted before, start by fasting just one single meal. And again, if you normally don't eat breakfast, you can't say not eating breakfast is your fast, okay? Pick a meal that you normally eat. If you want a challenge, start with lunch, because then you have the motivation that dinner is coming. And if you've got that down, try dinner. And dinner is going to be an extra challenge because now you go to bed hungry. And now you're really going to see what fasting is all about. Okay? And then you build from there. If you see another Christian, you find out, well, that person's fasting for three weeks. Okay. Remember the marathon? Everyone starts training for a marathon at a different level. If I start training for a marathon, I'm going to run to the end of the room and sit down. Others of you are going to run a mile and then sit down. We're all going to start somewhere different. Where you are, that's fine. Just build from there. Okay, so you determine your purpose, you determine how long you're going to fast. Now you need to determine what you will fast. Is this going to be an absolute fast, no food or water? That's going to determine how long you fast, by the way. Or is this going to be a partial fast? You're just going to limit yourself to certain food or certain amounts of food. Or is this going to be a normal fast where you're not going to eat anything, you're just going to drink water? Or are you going to have some other kind of fast? And I keep going back to this because I, I just want to hammer it home. Don't let legalism get you. These aren't rules for you. These kinds of fast are not restrictions. You can alter these fasts for your life and for your, your medical condition to fit what you need. You have freedom in this. Okay, let's assume for a moment that you're going to do a normal fast. You're going to have nothing but food, excuse me, nothing but water for 30 days. You're not going to eat any food. You're only going to drink water for 30 days. And I want to do this hypothetical with you, not because I'm encouraging you to start that, but because this is going to create some issues that we need to talk about. One of the things you're going to want to do to prepare for your fast is you're going to want to resolve any caffeine addictions, Okay, I know I'm not, how many of you love caffeine? All right, if you drink a lot of caffeine, the day you stop drinking caffeine, you are going to get a massive headache and it's going to last a couple of days. If you don't resolve the caffeine headache before your fast, the first day of your fast, you'll be fine. The second day of your fast, you're going to be really hungry and your head's going to be throbbing. And because you're not eating, taking medication is a bad idea. If you resolve the caffeine addiction before your fast, when your fast starts, you don't have to worry about it. And before your fast, you can take medication and eat something and take care of the headaches. Does that make sense? I'm just trying to save you some pain, okay? <laughs> um, how can you resolve the caffeine addiction? How do you do that? Well, the simple answer is you stop drinking caffeine. And what I would do is, let's say I was going to do it starting on Thursday, on a let's say Monday. I would decide I'm not going to have caffeine anymore on Monday. I'm going to go to the store Sunday. I'm going to go buy some ibuprofen or some Tylenol. Monday morning when I wake up with my breakfast, I'm going to take some of that, that medication and I'm going to put myself on the regular dosage of that medication for the next couple of days. That'll preempt having the headache. After about three days, you're done. Caffeine addiction, gone. It's flushed out of your system, and now you're ready to start your fast. Okay, some people advocate changing your diet the day before your fast. I read one doctor who said you should eat nothing but fresh fruit the day before your fast, because apparently having fresh fruit in your stomach is better than McDonald's, which I think is true whether you're fasting or not. If that that's his opinion, I, I don't know how much validity I see to it. If you go and research fasting, you'll find all sorts of different opinions. One thing I would say is before your fast, start reducing the amount you consume in the days prior to your fast. You're used to eating so much, and you can reduce the shock to your system by just reducing your portion sizes in the days leading up to your fast. And that'll help reduce the shock that you have when you go without food for the first time. Um, Another one, arrange meals with your family. What meals? I'm not eating. Now, talk with your family before you start your fast, especially if you're married or you have kids. Um, Let your spouse, let your children know that you won't be eating. If mom or dad doesn't show up to the dinner table for a couple of weeks, the kids might start having a lot of questions. Sort all that out before you start the fast. Guys, let your wife know you're not going to be eating so she doesn't cook you a meal and then you're like, nope, sorry. All right? Now, for the normal fast, you're not going to be eating, but you are going to be drinking water. And the best tip I know to give you on a normal fast when you're not eating is drink water. And I know that sounds silly, When you start feeling hungry and those hunger pains start coming, you're going to want some way to relieve them, especially before you get in bed. Water is a great way to do that. By drinking some water, you can relieve some of those hunger pains so you can actually get to sleep at night. And throughout the day, if those become too intense, just drink a little bit more water and it'll fill your stomach and relieve some of that pain. Now, if you're going to be drinking water, like a fish, that water is going to be flushing your system. Everyone's heard that you can die from drinking too much water. It's because you flush the sodium, the electrolytes, out of your system. Normally, those would be replenished by eating, but you're not going to be eating. So now you have a problem because you have no way to replenish those electrolytes. They make supplements that you can buy And you just pour them into your bottled water or into your glass, and they'll replenish those electrolytes. If you're going to be doing a normal fast where you're drinking, you're having nothing but water for several days, you're going to want to get some of those supplements so you can replenish your electrolytes and you don't pass out, okay? That's going to be important. All right, some side effects. There are some side effects of fasting that you will like, and there are some side effects of fasting you will hate. But I'm going to tell you about them now not to discourage you because I don't want you to get into fasting and be surprised and think there's something wrong. The first side effect, weight loss. That's the only good one. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> just, just telling you, that's the only good one. Weight loss. And everyone likes weight loss, so that's an encouragement. Uh, the second one, dizziness or lightheadedness. There's really nothing you can do about this. This usually happens when you stand up. Uh, to compensate for this, stand up slower. Just move a little bit slower. You're fasting. You don't have all the nutrients in your body. Your body's trying to adjust to it. Just slow down a little bit, and you'll be okay. Uh, The next one, bad breath. Now, I've heard people say why this happens, that when you're, especially on a normal fast, when you're drinking all this water, you're actually cleansing out your system, and that comes out in different ways. Uh, Carry some mints. And the last one is a rash. It's just like on the keto diet. You've heard of keto rash. There's two ways to solve the rash. One, eat something, but you're fasting. Or two, you can go to the doctor. He can give you a, a medicated ointment that'll relieve, relieve that. The rash will go away. Just It's uncomfortable while you have it. Okay, so you're on a fast. You just finished. You're on day 29 of your fast tomorrow You're allowed to eat, and now we need to talk about breaking your fast. You break a 30-day fast the wrong way, you will be in the hospital. It's going to hurt. You have to do this slowly. You have to do it slowly because if you have not had food for 30 days, your stomach has shrunk, the organ has shrunk. Your intestines and all the organs of your body that are involved in digestion, they are now in a form of hibernation. They have not been doing anything for the last 30 days. And just like if someone were to come and wake you up, you need to wake these organs up slowly. I don't like someone waking me up by hitting me in the head. Don't do that to your body. You have to wake these organs up slowly. Otherwise, you're going to hurt yourself. Okay, how do you do this? You start off by drinking fluids. Fresh fruit is a good start. Fresh fruit juice. I don't mean the concentrated preservative-rich Walmart brand. I mean, like, literally squeeze an orange into a glass and drink it, okay? Fresh fruit, fruit juice. Um, You can also use beef or chicken broth. It has some protein, so your body can start learning to digest again. You can also use solid fruits. Once you get past the fruit juice and the broth, go to solid fruits. Start with something soft like a banana and work your way up. Once you do that, you can go on to vegetables, fresh vegetables like a salad with no dressing. And this is just slowly getting your body back into the rhythm of digesting. How long is this going to take? For some of you, it'll take a day or two. For others, it'll take up to a week or two. You, How do you know? Well, one, talk to your doctor. Two, if it hurts, you probably should stop. If you're causing yourself pain or your body's reacting in a bad way, Back up, go back to the next the previous step. This requires discipline. Okay? You're gonna get off this fast and you're really gonna wanna go eat something. And eating a small portion because your stomach is shrunk is not going to be fun. You're gonna have to discipline yourself. You're gonna want in, you're gonna wanna jump in and go kill a buffet. Don't do it. You're gonna hurt yourself, okay? Resist the urge. All right. That's fasting. I feel like I've been talking forever. Questions? Comments? Concerns? Nothing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, One thing on the, especially if you're a diabetic, Mm -hmm. uh, fresh fruit and I like for instance orange juice, has a different molecular structure, just like milk, once it's past, body reacts to it is different. So be careful when you do that when you're eating it or and anything. Yeah. Pasteurization you know, pasteurization changes the molecular structure of the product. Yeah. Yeah, if you're diabetic please or if you have a medical condition that requires you to have a certain diet, please go see your doctor before doing this. Um I'm giving you suggestions. I'm not giving you medical advice. Um you don't want to take my medical advice. Trust me. So, yeah, if you, if you have diabetes, please go check with your doctor on what, how you should start the fast, what you should eat during the fast, and how to break the fast. All right? Any other comments, questions, concerns? All right. Let's close in prayer. Father, we, we thank you for this time that we have. We, we thank you for your word. Um, We thank you for these spiritual disciplines that help us to grow in Christ-likeness. We thank you that you have given us freedom um, to fast in the way that uh, we feel is best. We just ask that you would help us to to go about engaging in this discipline uh, in a way that is honoring to you. And that we would see the benefits of doing so. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.